and that by your power was raised to life, that we might have that same life in him. And so God, we are so grateful that you provided that way for us, that we now have access to you. We have peace with you, O oh God, through your son, Jesus. Help us as we consider the redemption that you, O oh God of the Exodus, provide for your people, how you deliver that we would be pondering that truth that we have righteousness only in Jesus. We're grateful for this truth in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Good to be back with you again. Do we have enough energy even though it's the last night of camp? Are we good? Yeah! Are we still here? Here. That's good. That's awesome. How things go at the games today? Did it go okay? You know, again, I've, I've been down at the hostel. My little one, she's still there. And so I've not been able to be as engaged with the games. But, you know, last night I said, Pan Am, you've got this. You're going to pull it out. Pan Am, how did we do today? We did great. Did we get back to the, did we, did we get to the top? No. No. But we're close. Okay, we'll see. Who did terrible? Who thinks they're in last place after yeah. that? Which team is that? Pineapple. Pineapple, is that what you said? Oh, Pan Am. Oh, the team we just cheered for, yeah? What's your team? Swaggy Cringe. You think you're in last. Are there any more ways for them to earn points whatsoever? These aren't final, right? Is this what it is right now? No. No, 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 no. So when do we find out who won? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow. Okay, buckle up, boys and girls. What, what do you win if you win? Eternal satisfaction. Who said satisfaction? Strong answer, yes. The satisfaction. That's good. I like that answer. Okay, I got prizes for you people then. So, uh, Carlos, you guys, Carlos, where's Carlos? Carlos gave me these. Guys, I have to tell you a story about Carlos because it's the last night of camp. Carlos, I got to tell this story. This is good. So, Winter camp circa 2013? Is that something? 2012. Winter camp 2012. We are at, uh, well, do you guys still go to Winter camp at Thousand Pines? Is that where you guys still go or used to go? Some are saying yes or no. Who's been to a Winter camp at Thousand Pines before? So there's this room, there's this building that we met in, and it was, it was newly done, this meeting that we had. And they had painted it and made it look awesome. And we were literally the first group ever to meet in there. And you're like, this is cool. And it like, smells like new paint. It was awesome. And I get up at the end of the last night. I close camp. And I say, hey, guys, this is, this is great. What a great week. Just tonight's just a hangout night. We're going to have fun. Whatever you do, be nice. Be nice to the building. Don't do anything crazy. Don't put a hole in the wall, etc. I literally said, don't put a hole in the wall. And no less, Carlos, than 35 minutes later, Carlos put a hole in the wall. He just, he just did it. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened. So listen, tonight, it's the last night of camp. Young people, don't put a hole in the wall. Don't do it. And so we all have to finance it. So that'll be good. So I'm supposed to give these away. I don't know what these are. So this is called 
Umaibo. Is that right? So who knows what this is? Who's had this before? Okay, you in the purple. What is it? Tell us all. Okay, you have one. It's a giant Cheeto puff. Let's open this and explore this. Okay, does it taste like a Cheeto puff? It's weird. Does anybody want one of these? Yes, want I do. Okay, I need reasons. You better, I'm gonna, if I point you, you better give me a good reason why I should give you one. Okay, you, go for it. Yeah, why? Why should I give this to you? Because I want it. I'll let it go. Okay, there we go. Okay, I need a different reason. Different reasons. Different reasons. The satisfaction. Why do you want it? You don't know that. That's not with that attitude. Uh, we'll see. Uh, if it gets there, it gets there. Okay, what else? I got more. I need I need reasons. Good reasons. Good reasons. Uh, young man, right here with the sandals. Yeah, go for it. Because you haven't tried it yet. But how do you know you'll like it? We'll see. I accept your reasoning. There we go. That is a terrible throw. Okay, why? Talk to me. Because you like trying new things. And you love flowers. Stand up, Robert. Show everyone your shirt. Have you ever seen so many different kinds of flowers on a shirt? There you go. That's yours right there. Okay, two more. Two more. Yes, young lady, right there. Yeah. Because you like Cheeto. I need more than I like it. I don't know. Here we go. I, need, I got one left, and I need an answer more than just because I like and I don't like and etc. Oh. Okay, yeah, go for it. Because I'm on the orange team. No. But she said it so. Everyone says no. Everyone says no. Shut it down. No, you said it so happy. There you go. All right, well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. All right, take your Bibles. Let's go. Exodus 11, people. Exodus 11. We got three chapters to cover again tonight because we're going to get through chapter 15 by tomorrow. Three chapters tonight. Uh, do they teach you foreign language at school still? Who takes, who's learning a foreign language? Learning a foreign language? Uh, if you're, uh, how many of you are homeschooled and therefore learning Latin? There we go. A bunch of you. Let's go. Yeah, that's good. So you got that going on. Uh, who's learning Spanish? Spanish. Okay, anyone learning like ASL, sign language stuff? Okay, any languages I have not mentioned that you're learning for school? You're learning for school? None of them? Yeah, what are you learning? What is it? Okay, Dina. I'll see you there. That's all I got. Okay, ready? We said that already. We'll say it again. Yeah. Norwegian? That's what you should have said. That would have qualified it. Why should I do that? Because I'm learning Norwegian. Why are you learning Norwegian? Because your mom wants you to learn Norwegian. Wow. Oops. Because you're from Norway, which is where uh, Arendelle is. Okay, what do you think? What are you learning? Every now and then I practice Japanese. Me too, you could say that. Yeah. What? Huh? What language? Korean. There we go. Okay. Last one. One more language. Go for it. Yeah. A little bit of sign language. Is anybody learning French? Anybody learning French? Some French. Okay, I'm going to teach you some French tonight. Okay, you ready? I want all of you to repeat after me. Here we go. Here we go. It's this. Say, pièce de résistance. Very good. Good job. Well done. So that is a that is a fancy word. It actually means main dish. So there you go. The pièce de résistance. But it means something else as well. It has the idea of someone's greatest work of art 
is like their pièce de résistance. So you can look at the Sistine Chapel, this beautiful painted ceiling in a famous church. Uh, you can think of Van Gogh's Starry Night, or you can think of Da Vinci's The Mona Lisa. And these are examples of like a masterpiece or their pièce de résistance. Uh, you can think of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, or if you think about movies, uh, the American film industry rated Citizen Kane as the best movie ever. Uh, what is Disney's PS de Resistance? What's their best movie ever? Star Wars? Star Disney didn't make Star Wars. Nemo, Frozen. These are all options. Tangled the right answer, so good job. You know, in music, you've got, you know, U2, the Joshua Tree album is the PS de Resistance. That was for the staff, not so much for you. But maybe for you, you've got your own thing that you're most proud of, like a song you wrote or a poem that you made. Well, if we're in Exodus 11, which is where we should be, what you find is Exodus is sort of Yahweh's masterpiece. It shows us his greatest work. In fact, through most of the Old Testament, like if you read the Psalms, if you read the prophets, what you'll read is them referring back, celebrating God's deliverance of Israel. And tonight we get to see the actual saving act. Now, what have we said? The book of Exodus is about what? It's about, it's, yeah, it's about a rescue. What's it really about in the orange? Yeah. It's about God. Good. In particular, it's about, yeah. Yeah, the God of the Exodus is us, what? His character. It's us knowing who he is. And tonight, what you're going to see is that God is a savior. That that's who he is. That he is not just a God who saves, but in his very essence, he is a savior. We'll see this masterpiece salvation tonight. What I'm going to do for now, instead of us reading all three of these chapters, let me read for you about like 18 verses of it. 18 verses, then we'll kind of meander our way through these chapters. Does that sound good? So let's go to chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. Let's take a look. Chapter 11, verse 1. Word of God reads, Now Yahweh said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man may ask his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses said, here he is, he's speaking now. Thus says Yahweh, about midnight I am going into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is right behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, is everyone good over there? Sorry, I hear whispering right here. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. 
so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. Yet Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Take a look at chapter 12 now, verse 29. Chapter 12, verse 29. Verse 29. Now it came about at midnight that Yahweh struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship Yahweh as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and bless me also. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We will all be dead. And so the people of Egypt took, or sorry, the people of Israel took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and articles of gold. And Yahweh had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they might let, that they might let them have their requests. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. About 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. A mixed multitude also went with them, along with the flocks and herds and very large number of livestock. They baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened. Since they were driven out of Egypt, it could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the hosts of Yahweh went out from the land of Egypt. Finally, look at chapter 13, verse 17. Chapter 13, verse 17. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Last two verses, notice. Yahweh was going before them. And a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. And in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. That they might travel by day and by night. He did not take the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. This is God's very word. Let's pray again that God would help us to understand it. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we are here for the last night of camp. And we are here for a very important passage that we might see your salvation, that we might see the glory of grace, that we might see that you rescue people with a mighty arm. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to marvel at you, to be amazed by your character, and that some of these young people, even tonight, would come to know you as a savior. 
We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. These three chapters are, for a lot of us, strange chapters. How many of you have ever tried to do like a read through the Bible before? Like a read through the Bible, so you try to do that with your parents. And in Exodus 11, 12, and 13, you start getting into some of the parts that make it difficult, right? We can agree there are some speed bumps in the Bible, the reading plans, like genealogies and weird names. And we're always like, what do we do with all these like, names and how old these people are? Other parts is in these chapters, you see a lot of instructions that we passed over for now about like the Sabbath and future celebrations. And as a as a junior higher, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this stuff? I, I, I know Christmas and Easter. I don't know these other holidays. What do I think about these? But I want you to think about soon is, again, that these chapters are about us knowing God, understanding who he is. And and it's always going to be helpful to know more about God. There's a, a famous pastor who said this. He says, it would be a strange God that if we loved him less by knowing him more. How weird it would be that if there was a God that we loved him less because we knew him more. And yet what we see in these passages, we get to see more about God. And I think that if you already love the Lord, you're going to love more of who God is. God today, friends, is like Santa. He's this, he shows up when we need him to do good things, but we keep him at a distance. But as we've been learning, we get to see all about him. And tonight, what I want you to see is this, is that this God is a savior. This is the God who saves. And when I say he's a savior, I don't just mean he saves occasionally. I mean, his very nature, what it means for him to be Yahweh is to be a savior. How many of you know how to cook something? If I said you need to cook, okay? How many of you that think you know how to cook is peanut butter and jelly? Right? You know how to cook peanut butter and jelly? You know how to make mac and cheese? Who knows how to make mac and cheese? That's good. That's good. You know how to... So a lot of you know how to cook. Some of you are cooks. Does that make sense? How many of you like are a cook? Like you, you know cooking. Like, I don't just mean like, no, I can heat things up. You're like, no, you're helping mom with the recipes. You don't even know, look at the recipe book anymore. You're like, hmm, it needs a pinch more of, I don't know, whatever you throw in there. Like, you know stuff, right? That's exactly it. Uh, some of you, at the same time, like, you know how to sing, right? Who knows how to sing? And by know how to sing, I mean, you know how to, like, use your voice to sing. I don't mean sing well. I mean, you know how to sing with your voice. Good, good. Some of you are singers, Right? It's like your nature. It's like God made you to sing well, etc. Right? There's a difference between knowing how to do something and that thing being part of your nature. Some of you know the rules of baseball. Others of you are baseball players. It's just who you are. Listen, with God, it's not just that he knows how to save. It's that it's his nature, always unchanging, that he is a savior. And that's what I want to see tonight. I want you to see that tonight in this text. Let's look at three different things in this passage. Let's consider three things. Number one, let's consider the great escape. The great escape. And I think each one of these points is going to answer a question. And if this point was answering a question, the the question would be, what kind of Savior is Yahweh? What kind of Savior is He here in the great escape? Now, chapter 11, we read this warning that Moses has to Pharaoh. He tells them, midnight tonight, your people are going down. There won't even be dogs barking where the Israelites are living. And by the way, this is going to pop that little like Prince of Egypt cartoon bubble. Because as we read, Moses left hot in anger. 
I don't, you know, Prince of Egypt's like, you know, they were brothers and Moses is all conflicted. I don't think Moses feels bad whatsoever. I mean, I think he's representing God and represents the anger of God and saying, this is going to happen to you, Pharaoh, unless you repent. Anyway, he tells them the firstborn are going to die. And we see this, what we looked at last night, this unmatched supremacy of Yahweh. And then we get to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Take a look at verse 29 of chapter 12. We looked at either uh, earlier. It says that the that about midnight, it says midnight, Yahweh struck the firstborn of the land of Egypt. And there was in verse 29 and 30, a great cry in Pharaoh is humbled. And Pharaoh says, you and your people get out of here. Take all your people, all of your livestock. And what do they do? They leave what? They leave quickly. They leave really, really fast. Right? So verse 33, he says, they say, send them away. And we read this stuff about them. They like, they took their bread without kneading it. Who's ever made bread before? Who's like made bread? Right? What do they mean by like leavening? Well, when we talk about leavening in bread, who can tell me what, what leavening does with bread? Yeah, talk to me. Doesn't keep it from rising, it helps it rise. Right? Leavening helps the bread rise. Right? So you don't just put it together, you gotta let it sit there. And some of you done this like you take the little towel, you put it all over there, and you come back to she's not gonna like that. Yeah, you come back a few hours later, that dough got higher, then you could start baking it. Well, they didn't have time to do that. So that's why it says they left without leaven. They kind of got like flat bread. It's like pita bread in the wilderness. That's what they're rolling with going forward. And they have to leave quickly. This is a quick thing. God strikes. Pharaoh says, you need to leave. And now there's this fast rescue. And yet you almost read chapter 12, verse 40 with this like relief. Again, part of bad Bible reading is reading it just like a generic history book. Look at verse 40 and read it with attitude. It says, now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. But on that day to the very day, verse 41, all the hosts of Yahweh went out. I mean, can't you just see like, just the day before they were slaves. Now they're all leaving. All 600,000 men, probably about 2 million of them total between men, women, and children. This is amazing. This is incredible rescue. And, and I think there is cheering and celebrating because the greatest power in the world had them held and yet God has rescued them. He saves. He's this supreme king. In fact, He told them, when you leave, you're going to leave with some cash. And what did they do? We read it. They asked the Egyptians, could we have some silver and gold? The Egyptians were like, yes, take everything. Just go away. And so now they're free. Now God's given them wealth. This is just an amazing, amazing salvation. Because that's who God is. He saves. Now, what kind of savior is he? That's what we're kind of looking at. Well, did you notice this? Take a look at chapter 12 again. Don't miss this. Verse 37 says the sons of Israel traveled. About 600,000 men. Verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them. What does that mean, a mixed multitude? Let me tell you what that means. It wasn't just Israelites. That some of the other people that lived in Egypt, even some of the Egyptians said, this is the one true God. And started following after them. It's as if God is saying, not only do I save, but there's no discrimination in who he saves. That any who are going to show his allegiance, whether they know a lot about religion or don't know anything, 
no matter what their background is, Jew or Gentile, that's the saving power of this God, and that's who He saves. By the way, we won't have time to get there. That's exactly the point in uh, Exodus chapter 18, where the first person to acknowledge that God is so powerful is Jethro, who's a Midianite. He's not even a, an Israelite. So we see this again, that all and all throughout the Old Testament, it's not just the Jews, but any who turn to Yahweh will be saved. Now there's one other picture I want you to see about this Savior, this great escape. Because we need to ask What's it then like to be saved by this king? We we look at chapter 13. Take a look at chapter 13 again. Chapter 13, verse 17. Right? We we see this picture that God is leading them and he and he sort of protects them. He knows that they would falter and doubt if they went to the Philistines. He protects them. But you have this picture there in verse 21 that Yahweh's in their midst. He's personally leading them. He leads them in a, in a what by day does it say? By day he leads them in a what? In a cloud and in a pillar of what by night? Fire. Fire. So it's interesting because the movies always make it like Moses led them out, but it's actually God who leads them out. Let, let me help you with something, student. God doesn't just save us out of sin. It's not just about him bringing us out of somewhere. Salvation is about bringing you out of sin to somewhere. And that to, that location, ready? Why does God save people? He saves people out of sin to bring them to himself. Okay, so let's, let's talk about a movie I watched earlier today. My wife had never seen Avengers Endgame. She's sitting in a hospital. She literally has nothing to do. She could care less about the, the subtle liberal agenda that's being portrayed through these Marvel movies, but we'll work these later. And she, uh, and in the midst of that, we watched the scene. Now, here's my question. You can always know in a movie what's the most important scene by the scene that takes the longest. So Avengers Endgame, what scene takes, someone raised their hand, I got you all what scene takes up the most amount of time? Yes. What's that? No, the last movie. The very last. Not, not that one. I know which one you're talking about. The one that, yeah, what's one scene the most time? The fight scene, right? It's the most important thing. He's like, I'm going to kill your planet and not even cry. And he's like, on your left. And then it's like, girl power. Because that's the kind of validation girls can make. Yeah, so. Uh, anyway. Like, you know, girls, you're worth so much more than big superheroes. You're an image bearer. Anyway, we'll move on from that. Um, okay, the most important scenes take up the most time. Hey, in the book of Exodus, guess what gets the most amount of time? Does anybody know? Anyone want to take a stab at it? What takes the most amount of time? You in the back, yeah. The final place? The final place is a good guess. It's not accurate. What is it? Moses. Moses? I mean, Moses in the whole thing, yeah, but it's true. It's, good. it's not exactly a scene, but he's a person. He's important. Yeah, what gets the most amount of time? God's leading out of Egypt. You ready for the answer? You're not going to guess it because you don't think about it. You ready what it is? It's the tabernacle. What? What's a tabernacle? It's this weird tent that they're going to build. It has all these instructions. And who likes reading instructions? Like no one sees pamphlets from Ikea on your bookshelf at home. But let me tell you what the tabernacle is. You ready? The tabernacle is this tent that God spends 15 chapters Saying, you're going to build this in the wilderness. You don't know why? Here it is. Ready? Because I'm going to live with you. 
God saves them to dwell with them. And even here, God doesn't just save them and then hang out a pine like, all right, off you go, be free. But he saves them so that he immediately dwells with them. That's awesome. A holy God, who we've already talked about, who controls all nature, who knows our sin, rescues us so we could be near to him. That's the great escape. And that's the kind of savior that God is. So let's look at number two. We've already learned about that. Number two, let's then learn about the Passover. The Passover. And if the last question was what kind of Savior is Yahweh, let's ask this question. How does he save? How does he save? We read these three chapters. These are the rescue chapters. And you might think, man, the, well, the really big deal here is the plague. But do you realize that the plague itself, the actual like the angel of death coming down and everybody dying, the plague itself only gets two verses. Two verses and three chapters. That's all it gets. Oh, yeah, you guys got it. This is good. This is why it's good to read your Bible. Because what gets the most attention here? The most attention in these chapters is the Passover. The instructions for the Passover. The Passover would become this holiday where God tells them, I want you to memorialize the fact that I'm going to rescue you. Is everyone good over here? Cool, cool, cool. Okay, cool. That God says, I want you to remember that I rescued you. You're going to have this annual holiday to remember that I rescued you. Similar to Easter for us, right? That we every year remember that Jesus rose again thus rescuing us. Well, for them, they have this holiday. So let's take a look. What did they do? And for that, turn to chapter 12. Chapter 12. So let's look at this Passover and you're going to see Uh, Not only is this very, very clear, some of you in time are going to realize this sounds super familiar, super familiar. Chapter 12, it says, now Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to the congregation of Israel and tell them on the 10th of this month, they are each to take a lamb for themselves. According to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbors, uh, neighbor nearest to his house, take one according to the number of persons in them. According to each one, look at verse five. Your lamb shall be unblemished, an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it till the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. In other words, every Israelite family, or maybe even two families together, is to take a lamb. And they're to raise it in their house. And it's not supposed to be like a, you know, a messed up lamb, a, a beaten up lamb. It's supposed to be a pure lamb, a spotless lamb. And they're to keep it in their house for a few days. And on the 14th day, each of them is to kill it at twilight just before sunset. Now what is God doing here? Take a look at verse 7. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel, the top posts of the house in which they eat. Not only that, but it goes on then to say that they're supposed to eat this meal fast. Right? So remember, this is a meal they're going to eat once and then they're going to eat this meal again every single year, this, this Passover meal. And notice how the meal is pointing them back to the rescue. 
So what do they do with it? Verse 8, it says, They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. Why roasted? Well, let me ask you, what's easier, to roast something or to bake it or grill it? Which is quicker? Roasting it. Right? They're going to they're gonna cook this thing with speed. This whole meal is about remembering the fast rescue that God provided. So you're going to roast it. You're going to eat it, it says there, look in verse 8, with bitter herbs. Why bitter? They're going to eat some of this and go, ugh. Why? Because it's going to remind them how bitter life was in Egypt before God rescued them. Something that Israel would actually forget. But we could look at that another time. Look again at verse 9. Verse 9, do not eat any of it raw. Okay, you have to cook it. But don't boil it. That's going to take too long. Rather, roast it with fire. They're going to eat it with speed. In fact, you could look at chat, verse, hold your spot there for a second. But look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, it is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Well, why? Because... Because some of you, and some of you know this, some of your dad's got like a grill at home, they've got a Traeger. Whose dad has like a smoker at home? He's like up at 4 a.m. throwing meat on and wood chips, and he's preparing and cooking things, right? Well, the idea of breaking the bones would mean that you're putting some prep into this. There's no prep. You are cooking this fast. Why? Because you're going to leave fast. That's the point. In fact, you even see this in the uniform. They're dressed for speed. So chapter 12, verse 10 It says you will not leave any of it over. There's no leftovers here, no Tupperware, because you're getting out of here. You don't leave leftovers if you're you're leaving a hotel. It says you shall burn it with fire. You shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are dressed to move. Why? Because it's the Lord's Passover. God is going to rescue us now. It's like that now. That's how He rescues. That's what He's doing. Now, why this blood? Verse 12, again, this totally makes sense. Verse 12 says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So again, this, the, the picture here is that the blood is going to protect them from the wrath of God. That this is the first plague that if Israel doesn't do something, they themselves will also die. That the angel of the Lord is going to go through. God's personally coming through to strike down the firstborn of every single family. And yet every house that has the blood of this lamb on it says what? That he will pass over. Now, Israel does this. Verses 21 to 23 tell us that, that they obeyed. Moses tells them to do this. Uh, Moses repeats those instructions that, that Yahweh will pass over. Verse 23, for Yahweh will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, Yahweh will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And as a result, the Israelites are rescued. The Egyptians are destroyed. Now let's think more about how this is celebrated. Let's ask that question. How was this holiday celebrated? Did you notice verse 1 of chapter 12? What does God do 
Someone, someone in one word answer or fill in this blank. In chapter 12, verse 1, God creates a new blank. Someone help me with that. Look at Tales 1 and 2. What does it say? God creates a new blank. The one man with his hand up. Go for it. What does he make? A new what? A new what? Not a new land. Everyone look at 12.1. 12.1. What does it say? He says, oh, I turned too many pages with my chubby fingers. He says, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, verse 2, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. He creates a new what? A new year. Or maybe in a better word would be? Holiday. Holiday? Ah, it's more than just a holiday. Creates a new what? He creates a new month. A new year. Anyone else? Yeah. Boom. It's like God is creating a new calendar. Hey, let me tell you something. Your history is going to be totally redone. And every year now, this is your new first month of your, this is your new January. And at the very front of every single year, you're going to celebrate the very thing that made you a nation. Namely, the fact that I rescued you out of Egypt. So central to this whole thing is God says, I want you to remember that I'm a savior. So your whole calendar is going to revolve around this. That's amazing, right? That's, that's really cool. But that's not the only thing there to remember here. You're supposed to remember something else. So take a look at chapter 14. Or sorry, chapter 14. Verse, chapter 12 still. But verse 14 now. It says, this day is a memorial to you. You'll celebrate as a feast of the Lord. So they're not just going to do this once, like I said. They're going to celebrate it year after year. Right? Just like a, a wedding ring identifies me as married. It's a symbol that show, remember, helps me remember who I am. Every year, Israel's going to remember what? We are the people who were rescued by God. That's who they are. So we have been trying to say, who is Yahweh? Well, Yahweh is Yahweh. Who is Israel? They are the people that were rescued. It's cool, right? It's helpful. It's so clear when we look at the Bible like this. Now, who could take this meal? We'll, we'll get into that another time. The, who could take this meal? The people that could take this meal were anybody that followed Israel. So if we were to look at, a, or sorry, that followed Yahweh. So if we were to look at the end of chapter 12, you would see there's actually instructions for, can, basically, can any non-Israelite take it? The answer is yes, if they turn to Yahweh. If they become part of the nation of Israel. Anyone who joins in in the people of God can participate in this annual remembrance of who God is and how he rescued them. Again and again, it tells them, remember this day, remember this day. Now, here's the last question in this section. What is it that they are supposed to remember? And you're like, well, they're supposed to remember that they were rescued, right? True, but let's get, let's get more direct. Look at chapter 12, verse 25. Chapter 12, verse 25. It says, when you enter the land which Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. You shall observe this, this holiday. Um, and then it says, and when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? All right, so one day, picture this. Forty years from now, you're going to be in the promised land. And you're going to have this meal with the lamb. You're going to eat bitter herbs. You're still going to eat it with sandals on your feet and dress like you're ready to go. And Israel, your kids are going to say, why are we doing this? What's this, what's this meal about? How am I supposed to think about what's happening here? 
And here's the answer. Verse 26. When your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. It's not just that they're remembering that God rescued them. Take a look at it again. It's not just that they're remembering that God struck the Egyptians. They're remembering that God spared them. You see, student, there's a very real aspect in this lamb sacrifice. That if you back up and now, now that you've heard all this, now I've, I've tried to put all these pieces together for you. What you realize is this, for every single Israelite house, there was a decision to be made. Either the firstborn would die or the lamb would die. That the lamb becomes a very real substitute. That the lamb dies in the place of the firstborn. You might think, well, why was Israel under, were they under judgment? You know, the text doesn't explicitly say that. I'll tell you this, though. We don't get very far into realizing that Israel was, was just as sinful as Egypt. That Israel is constantly complaining in chapters 15, 16, 17. That God gives them bread from heaven in chapter 16. Gives them very clear and simple instructions. And Israel, what? Cannot obey them. Refuses to follow them. That Moses goes on the mountain to talk to God for 40 days. And in chapter 32, Israel, though they've been taken out of Egypt, it seems that Egypt is still very much in Israel because Israel makes an idol. And as we just keep going through the rest of the Bible, you find that Israel again and again bows down to idols and bows down to the gods of the nations and refuses to obey who God is. I mean, it's a few books from now that you'll hit judges where it'll say what? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so you start giving the impression that these are people who the only reason they're saved is what? Because they're good? Because they prayed a lot? Because, because they did something special? Oh no, friends, the only reason Israel is saved is because God showed them grace. And they were spared by the blood of a lamb. That the firstborn of Israel lives because God spared the firstborn by the blood of a lamb. That a substitute died in the firstborn's place. Let's take a look now at point number three. Let's take a look at the greater Passover. It's hard to miss this, right? We saw how God or that God saves. We asked kind of how God saves. Now let's take a look at how he saves today. And even as I'm saying this, you start thinking that sounds a little familiar, sort of like in a musical where you hear a a certain arrangement of notes in one song. And then later you'll be like, wait, I've heard those notes played together. That's that's taken from a song that was played earlier. 
we start seeing themes popping up again. And let me tell you why you're going to see this exact thing in the New Testament. Let me tell you why. It's because salvation is not this like machine that God built. You know, let me arrange this and build this and there's the salvation machine. And salvation is not like this four-step program that God was like, man, people are in a lot of trouble, so let's kind of walk through these steps. No, no. Salvation exists because God is a Savior. It's who He is. It's by nature what He does. He is one who looks to save those who would belong to them. He saves those who have the blood of a lamb dying in their place. And so now I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Turn to the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to see some amazing things. And as you turn there, I want to remind you of a passage that's in Jeremiah. Because if you look at Jeremiah... You know, all throughout the Old Testament, they're like, remember how God saved us. Remember how God saved us out of Egypt. Remember God delivered us from the Egyptians. And in Jeremiah, he says, therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it shall no longer be said as Yahweh lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They're not going to even talk about Egypt anymore. Why? Because as Yahweh lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and of all the countries where he had driven them. In other words, already in the Old Testament, you say Exodus was the salvation event, but something greater is coming. And in Jesus, something greater has come. Because when you get to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, you find Jesus getting ready to have what with his disciples? The last supper. And when does this happen? Verse 7, then, the, then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat. We read that the Lord is... Enjoying this last meal with his disciples when? On the Passover. That's no accident. Bells should be going off in your head. Let's turn to John chapter 1. It's just a few pages to your right. John chapter 1. And tell me now if the Exodus doesn't inform your thinking here. John 1.29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Turn to John 19. Again, we're just going to keep turning to the right. John 19. As you're turning there, I'll mention two other verses. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul refers to Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb. And in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter says that you were not saved, you were not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the blood of a lamb, 
precious and without blemish. It's as if all the gospel writers are saying that God doesn't have any new tricks. He's just doing what he's always done because he's doing what's consistent with his nature. That is saving by the blood of a lamb. You're all in John 19, right? Listen to John 19, verse 31. It says, then the Jews, this is Jesus is on the cross. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. They didn't want the, you're not supposed to have the cross, bodies on the cross on the Sabbath. They asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, the three people. Again, you break the legs on the cross. You are, are not going to be able to breathe anymore. You won't be able to push yourself up to breathe. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has been and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. To fulfill the Scripture, not a bone shall be broken. Wait a second. We read the passage where it said, not a bone shall be broken, right? Let me ask you. In that passage, was Moses, did Moses say, hey, one day a Savior is going to come and He's going to die on a cross and none of His bones shall be broken? Prediction. Is that what Moses did when we read that? No. So, so why is John saying the Scriptures would be fulfilled? Let me tell you what's happening there. Let me tell you why. The Gospel of John is about Jesus coming and dying willingly for sinners. In fact, Mark chapter 10 says He gives His life a ransom for many. That Jesus was not the victim of some mob. He died when He wanted to and He died for who He wanted. John 10 says He lays down His life for His people, for the sheep. When John is saying the scripture is fulfilled, he's not saying, yep, Moses guessed it. Here's what he's saying. Is this, is, he's saying that just like that first Passover lamb saved the firstborn from the wrath of God, so to this truer and greater Passover lamb will save all who believe from the wrath of God. That Exodus was just a picture, was just a warm-up act for the main event. That there will be people sitting in a room 3,500 years later who are not in bondage to Pharaoh, but who are in bondage to their sin, who are slaves of their sin, who rightly sit under the wrath of God for their sin. Who cannot do any good thing to get rid of the wrath of God for their sin. Because there are no good things they've really done. Who though knowing about God and hearing the traditions about God. Complain like Israel did. And makes idols like Israel did. And doubts God like Israel did. That, that people today would likewise into a far greater degree. Be in bondage and sit waiting for the wrath of God to come on them. But there also is a lamb who was provided. 
That Jesus Christ comes so that if you repent of your sin and believe on Him, not just believe that He existed, but entrust yourself to Him. Singing, just like we sang before we came up here, not in me, no good things I can do, but I'm clinging to this Lamb. Then God will take that wrath off of you. That you will not face His wrath. Why not? Because He is Yahweh. If God were to have the wrath fall on you, even when trusting in the Lamb, it would be very un-Yahweh of Him. He would not be who He is. He would be acting against His nature. But because He always acts according to His nature, and because His nature is to rescue all who trust in the Lamb who took their place, He will save you today. Thoroughly, You can know it and bank on it and take your soul to heaven knowing that fact that, Christ, that God rescues all who trust in His Lamb, the Great Lamb. And so young student, this is in Exodus 11, 12, and 13 a preview of coming attractions. That God will even tonight, whether you are like an Israelite who's grown up going to church or whether you're like that mixed multitude who knows nothing about church. It's just kind of new to all of this stuff. That all who come to Him, He will rescue. Not just to take you out of sin, but to bring you to Himself. That's who God is. That's who God has always been. And so student, tonight as we are wrapping up now our fourth sermon on the nature of God, you have to ask yourself this question. Right? You cannot kind of sit in the middle. I love that we got a section here and a section here because it just perfectly demonstrates a, a, a divine. Will I act as the Egyptians who reject God? Or will I trust in a lamb who died in my place? And as a result, know that I too can be saved. Jesus Christ says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. He says in John 6, any who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. So you can know tonight, tonight. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything mystical or magical or anything like that. You just have to repent of your sin. Confess that you're a sinner. Turn from your sin and cry out to Jesus as your only Savior. And if you do that, God will save. Because He always saves those who trust in the substitutionary death of a lamb. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for the good news of the Gospel. Lord, may we, may we worship You because of this. Oh God, how sad it would be for us to hear these truths and Shrug our shoulders and let there be no change in our life. Lord, there are so many foolish things that we give more attention to. Lord, let this sermon remind us of who you are, who we are for in Christ. That our primary identity is that we've been saved by you. How good it is to trust your character, Lord. We thank you that you don't say no to anybody who turns to you. Lord, some of these students are here tonight and they do not know you. And they have not turned to you. And in your mercy and grace, you brought them here to not learn, not to learn about how they can clean themselves up, but that they need to trust in the death of a lamb in their place. 
God, how good it is to know that all our sins can be taken away. That you will wash us whiter than snow. That all our sin might be placed on Christ of the cross so that we might be forgiven and brought near to you. Lord, I ask that you rescue sinners tonight. That you would cause them to trust in you. That you would open up their eyes to their sin and stir up their hearts to place their trust in you and in your greater Passover land. Thank you for your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing of God's great mercy toward us as sinners in providing the Passover land.
be seated for just a moment. God's very word says this in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. God's very word in John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God's very word in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 says, Salvation is from the Lord. God's very word in Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It really is that simple. Repent from your sins and believe in the work that Jesus Christ did for you. Believe in the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life being fully God and fully man and suffered and died on the cross because he loves you that much. And three days later, raising again from the dead, defeating death forever. I know that some of you have come here to camp bearing some serious burdens, being unsure of your own salvation in the Lord. You can find rest in the God who not only offers salvation, but in his very nature is salvation. I love Luke 15. You know the prodigal son story where the son runs away from the father and just is 
squanders all of his money, is left poor with nothing to the point where he's even eating the own food that the pigs eat. And he says, I will go to my father and I will work for him. So he goes back to his father. And what does the father do when he arrives? His arms are open wide, but he doesn't just stand there. He runs to his son. He sprints to his son because his son has returned to the father. That is what you can do tonight. Some of you may have wandered away from Christ, may have wandered away from your Savior, but he is here tonight with his arms open wide to you. Repent and believe in the gospel. Surrender all that you are for all that he is, and you will be saved. You will find rest. Our band is going to lead us through another song now. But I'd like for you now to bow your heads. Go ahead and bow your heads. And I want to give you this opportunity to do business with God. Some of you are here and have not yet accepted the truth of the gospel. Have not yet accepted our Savior. And I want to give you this opportunity now to pray to our God of salvation, to ask for forgiveness, to confess, to repent. And then afterwards, once we're done here in our session and we go to small groups, I would encourage you to talk to your small group leaders about how the Lord is working in your heart now. But keep your heads bowed. Use this time to pray to him.
Lord God, that is our only confidence. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the holy lamb of God. We have confidence only in him. And so Lord, we give our lives or dedicate our lives to following that Jesus tonight. We're so grateful for the work that you're doing in our lives. We're thankful for the grace and the mercy and the peace found in your son. And we embrace that and live in that and stand in that. In the power of Christ, we stand. It is in Christ alone that we can approach your throne even now. In his name we pray.